Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. The worship series that Peter introduced to us tonight is called Praying in a Crowded House. That's why all the stuff. Um, We're thinking about what it looks like to clear out the clutter of our own minds and spirits, of the theology we inherited, of all kinds of things, so that our prayers can be kind of stripped down, so that we can be clearer about the ways that prayer shapes us. And so as we read through the Psalms, we've been asking them to help us sort of um, interact with our world and our own experiences in that clarifying way. A couple weeks ago, we talked about praying to awaken. Last week, we talked about praying to remember. And tonight, maybe you've already guessed, we're talking about praying to cry. You know, about half of the 150 Psalms in the Bible are songs of lament, Half or more songs of lament, where the mood is ominous, where something painful and sorrowful and shameful has happened or is happening now, and the prayer really just wants God to hear about it. And because half of the Psalms in the Bible are laments, we're going to spend half of our six-week series in Psalms of Lament, beginning tonight with this one. Psalm 71. I'm reading the second half, picking up where Peter left off. Let my accusers be put to shame and consumed. Let those who seek to hurt me be covered with scorn and disgrace. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all day long though their number is past my knowledge. I will come praising the mighty deeds of the Lord God. I will praise your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to all the generations to come. Your power and your righteousness, O God, reach the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my honor and comfort me Once again, I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have rescued. And all day long, my tongue will talk of your righteous help. For those who tried to do me harm, have been put to shame and disgraced. This is the word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. It was 20 years ago, at least. I remember the room I was in and who I was sitting next to and the voice of the person speaking. I remember the moment vividly because it unlocked something for me that has been for my good in my ongoing quest to wrestle ultimate meaning out of ancient texts. Maybe someday you'll remember tonight and who you're sitting next to and the sound of my voice as I share the same insight with you, passed down, as it were, from generation to generation. The trick, he said, when you're reading the Psalms is to get beyond your sense that they all sound kind of the same with stock phrases and familiar rhythms. And the way you get beyond that is to imagine in as much detail as you can the one who sang this song first. Like a real human being with real lived experiences, writing a poem prayer set to music to share with their religious kin in worship. Behind the poetry, there is a person, he said. And if you can figure out who it is, the prayer will come alive. So for Psalm 71, who is it? What do we know? I am not going to cite verse references for everything I'm about to say. I started doing that and it was so crowded. But everything I'm about to say is directly from the lines of Psalm 71 itself. If you want to pull it up on your phone, you can check me on that. Here's what we know. They were raised up in religion the inheritance of faith from their parents and their grandparents and all the aunties and uncles, the ones related by DNA and the ones related by neighborhood. You have been my hope and trust from my youth, they say. I have leaned on you since my birth, they say, since you pulled me from the safety of my mother's body into the harsh light of the real world. I grew up learning to see you in the world receiving instruction about how to find you out here. And I have not forgotten my lessons. And they have been a public practitioner of their faith all along the way. I use my voice to tell of your wondrous deeds, they say. Pretty much whenever I open my mouth, I am letting people know what you've done for me lately. I have not kept your love for me a secret, nor my devotion to you. I am an out loud believer. Everybody knows it. They are a musician, a multi-instrumentalist who can switch from harp to lyre and back again when the ensemble calls for it. And they sing. My lips, my tongue, my throat, my breath, my whole apparatus tuned to your praise, they say, singing and shouting the alleluias and the praise the Lord's. In all these years, I have not got tired of singing your songs, they say. Okay, so do you have a picture of this person in your mind yet? It might be someone you know. It might be somebody that you're inventing as we go. Just take a second. 
Give them a name, give them a face, give them a race. And if you are assuming white, it might be worthwhile to try something else. Give them a hair color. Oh wait, the hair color is less negotiable than we might have imagined because in this case, the poet has been explicit about their hair. Even to old age and gray hairs, they say, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength is spent. And so with that, you might need to adjust your mental picture upward a bit in terms of age. Our poet is, if not elderly, at least aging and feeling it. 53, maybe? And forgetting things they just told you yesterday? Afraid to sneeze with hay fever because they might sprain something or pee a little bit when they didn't mean to? Aching with unspecified pangs that seem to settle in with sleep every night? Side note, I attended a funeral for my husband's uncle yesterday, and when we gathered for a meal with the extended family, it seemed like every conversation at every table of cousins we had not seen in years was about doctor's visits and diagnoses and dosages. All of us feeling it, along with each other, the full-time obsession of knowing your half-life is behind you. So now my imagination puts together a musician with arthritic fingers that can't, can't pluck and strum the way they used to, whose voice has lost most of its air. Think of Liza Minnelli on that stage at the Oscars with Lady Gaga, or Willie Nelson singing about rainbows with Casey Musgraves, or Joni Mitchell on tour with Brandi Carlisle, John Prine on his last album before his death by COVID, his gnarled hands on the guitar strings, his strange voice made somehow ordinary with age. Our Psalm 71 poet was perhaps once formidable in their talent, recognized and admired by many, maybe even a prodigy in their youth, but the power they once possessed is fading and they know it. At the same time, they feel like the world is no longer a safe place. When they had strength, when their youthful energy turned to adult vigor, the words of praise rolled off their tongue with ease. But these days, every day feels like running a gauntlet. You can't trust anybody. Your neighbors are not honorable. Even some of your own relatives have gotten tired of helping you out. Every time the phone rings or beeps or buzzes, there's a chance someone is trying to trick you. For my enemies speak concerning me and those who watch for my life consult together and they say, pursue and seize that person whom God has forsaken. There's no one to deliver. They pretend to be your grandchild stranded in a foreign country needing cash to get home. They sign you up for subscription services you don't want and can't figure out how to cancel. They know nobody's watching out for you, that you're vulnerable and that your vulnerability can be exploited. Pursue and seize that person whom God has forsaken. There is no one to deliver. Our poet has a strong sense that people can't be trusted. A bit of that paranoia that sets in with dementia, perhaps? 
Or maybe they have truly been disappointed in their lifetime of experiences with human beings. We can be, in aggregate, very disappointing. For the poet, the villains who seek to take advantage of them should not be trusted unless, unless they say something that sounds plausible, something that comes very close to a distressing thought the poet's own mind has generated. What if they say, God and everybody else has forsaken this old geezer? What if they say, this senior citizen has no one on their side, no one paying attention, not even the God whose name they have sung for a thousand years? What if, after a long lifetime of one-way communication, you spending life and breath and the skin of your fingertips to send your love to the skies, a lifetime of worshipful overtures with no reciprocity, not even a whispered thank you from the divine lips of your intended audience. What if you yourself have begun to wonder? What if God forsaken a word you have used in your songs to describe deserts and dry riverbeds has started to feel like a descriptor that would be at home in your own obituary, your own creaky bones, your thinning silver hair, your cluttered mind, your dusty heart. Is God forsaken so far off? It comes up several times in Psalm 71. They say, pursue and seize that person whom God has forsaken. There is no one to deliver. They say, but then it comes out of the poet's own mouth. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength is spent. So even unto old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Here is a thing I used to think. I used to think that life and family and work and faith, especially faith, would get easier as I got older. And I mean, for a little while, it's kind of true. With some education and some maturity, with some of your dumbest youthful mistakes well behind you, with your identity mostly sorted out, you can start to feel the wind ever so gently at your back. You get the right name and pronouns on all your official documents. You mostly pay your bills, mostly on time. You find a church that thinks you're terrific and you hit your stride career-wise. Now, of course, something could derail all that progress, a car accident, a critical diagnosis, a painful breakup or divorce, but barring those catastrophes, it's easy to imagine that maturity and experience are on a linear graph trending upward toward more confidence, more facility with faith so that it's working for you rather than filling you with confusion. You don't even have to have experienced that kind of progress yet to believe in it, to hope for it, 
to fill your self-help pep talks with reassurance that if you can just get through this hard part, the terrible 20s or the thirsty 30s or this internship or that PhD program or this coming out or getting the hell out of Texas or the painful deconstruction of your fundagelical upbringing or the trauma therapy that's helping you deal with all that pain or whatever it is, if you can just gut it out, suck it up, hang in there, things are bound to get better. And then here comes Psalm 71, asserting in church, no less, in the company of the faithful with its arthritic fingers and aging voice that it doesn't necessarily work that way. That sometimes it's not trauma or catastrophe that does you in, but just the inevitable reality that life is fucking hard. Being alive in this world is hard and the closer you get to the end of this life, the harder it can get sometimes for some of us on some days. Here comes Psalm 71 with its pretty little tune and all the catchphrases, praise the Lord, God's steadfast love, the wondrous works, the salvation, the redemption, the hope, the everything sneaking in the idea that life in this world is enough to bring you to tears some days. When you've seen too many black men dead at the, head, at the hands of a policing system that we can't seem to reform and can't seem to live without. When you've heard too many of your own neighbors and relatives deride the way you see the world. When you have fought and lost too many fights for scraps of justice. When your kids and grandkids roll their eyes behind your back because you are hopelessly out of date and will never catch up. When your mind still feels so energized that your body and your voice and your damn hair make it hard for anyone to take you seriously anymore. And when the answers to life's biggest questions you thought you'd have worked out by now are more elusive than ever. And on top of that, guess what? New questions just keep coming, yielding less and less certainty, more and more complexity with every passing year. And that recognition, that reality, where does it belong? Where does it go? You know what I'm gonna say, right? The recognition that reality bites sometimes, that getting older brings as many problems as it solves, that regular life can be hard and worth crying about. It belongs right here in the company of the faithful, in the prayers of the righteous, on the lips of the singers, in the regular order of worship, carried to the ear of God by the Spirit who helps us to pray. It belongs right here in the center of our Bibles, in the prayer book of our ancestors as a sacred text worth our contemplation. 
It belongs with us, with each other, as we learn to let go the false good cheer and clear the house of the forced declarations that everything is fine, that God is good all the time, that our faith is unshakable. As we learn to let each other off the hook for habitual happiness, as we learn to be brave and truthful about how it hurts sometimes and how it shakes us to the core and how it threatens to make off with the faith we fought to hold on to for so long. Church, this is not the only song we sing. This is not the only prayer we pray. But sometimes we pray to cry, to open the dam behind our eyes and let the floods come down. In the presence of this good company, we tell the truth And in the telling of it, says Psalm 71, we praise the Lord. Even in a minor key, with shaky voice and shaking hands, with all the aches we have accumulated in body and spirit, we tell the truth and we praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in our youth and in our old age and all that we suffer in between. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace. Peace.